Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Deacon Omar Gutierrez from the Archdiocese of Omaha. Is coming. He'll be here on Zoom to talk to us about uh, racism, and we're doing that because it was just Martin Luther King Jr. Day this past Monday, and I wanted to talk about it, uh, about the Catholic perspective and the Catholic response, which Dr. Bergwald did this with him on Ignition a couple of years ago. I listened to it, and it was so great. I was like, we have to have him back to talk about it again, because surely not everybody heard it. Well, right. possibly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have Dr. Bergwald here with me. We're going to do some Biblical Bites with Dr. B, but first... Um, I want to just make sure that everybody knows uh, coming up, we have the Gift of Hope concert, which um, uh, supports the Lord's Center here in the diocese, which uh, they do a lot of grief support programs, um, counseling, and so on. And this is their big fundraiser for the year. Um, So that is coming up February 11th. At, so let's see, I believe it starts at 7. I don't have a time here. I think it starts at 7. But it is uh, at the Sioux Falls uh, O'Gorman Performing Arts Center. Um, so Ben Fuller is the uh, star, the performer. Performer, yeah, the celebrity. Musician. <laughs> Musician. He will be performing. He's a um, Christian uh, <clears throat> singer. Really, really good from what I hear. I've never seen him. Um, I listened to some of his stuff online a little bit, and it's kind of got a little bit of a country sound mm-hmm. a little bit. Kind of so country it, rock. Yeah, I think he'll be very well. Uh, he was here last year mm-hmm. uh, as the opening act yep. and kind of stole the show. So. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so I, I went last year with um, one of my daughters mm-hmm. and a couple of her friends, and uh, they loved Ben yeah. Fuller. Yeah. So I, yeah. I really enjoyed him too, but the, the, the girls, the, the young him. teenagers, the, yes. uh, the 13-year-olds really, really <laughs> bring, liked Ben bring Fuller. Bring your daughters, I guess. Yeah. Yes, your daughters. <laughs> um, so you can get tickets for that at uh, ccfesd.org. Ticket prices are students are $20. Adult general admission is $35. And you can do a patron seat, which really, really helps uh, the fundraising. That's a preferred seating and a reception afterwards, and that is $60. So be sure to go to the website, ccfesd.org. Uh, ben Fuller has an amazing story. He an does. Ama- a, a, one of those like really profound conversion yeah. stories um, that I'm sure he'll share as yes. part of his performance. Yes. Uh, so he, it really, it was, it was, um, I think unspoken, I think was the, the, the main yeah, act. Yeah, yeah. And they were great, yep. but Ben Fuller, it's like, oh my gosh. You just don't expect is... that of the opening exactly. act. And then he kind of yeah, blew him away. Yeah, yeah. So. he was, he was great. Yeah. So, so right. I, yeah, I would really. I would second the endorsement yeah. and recommendation to go because it's a great event for a great cause. Yes, a really yep. great cause. That's they're doing some really great things around the diocese. They are. So, all right, Doctor B. So take I want it to. Away. Yeah, I want to pick up um, where we left off um, last week, where I just talked briefly about the second reading, which is the semi-continuous reading oh. from mm-hmm. First Corinthians. So. Um, the New Testament letters, most so we get the Gospels, we have Acts, and then we have the rest of the New Testament documents, most of which, so everything basically, basically after Acts, mm-hmm. m- most of those numerically and if in terms of page numbers, if you will, were written by St. Paul. Right. And St. Paul wrote these letters to churches usually that he had already visited mm-hmm. or even established. Sometimes in the case of um, the first and most important of his letters, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, um, he wrote it sort of in advance of his visits oh, right, to them. Oh, right, right. Um, 
but the others were either written to churches or individuals like okay. Timothy. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who he had mentored, if you will, and who he had ordained mm-hmm. as a bishop. So St. Paul writes his letters to these individuals or to these communities for a variety of reasons. And I think it's just worth thinking a little bit about sort of the New Testament, the structure of the New Testament. These letters are written to these communities or individuals to support, encourage, and sometimes challenge or rebuke these communities for things that are going on. So in the case of his two letters to the Corinthians, and I I mentioned just briefly last week, there seems to be some evidence that St. Paul had maybe written a third letter, but that apparently wasn't inspired and didn't find its way into Mm -hmm. the Bible. Mm -hmm. But he wrote at least two, if not three letters to the church in Corinth, uh, a church that he had established. Corinth uh, was in uh, Greece, so mainland Europe. Mm, mm-hmm. um, for, so he, the Corinthians were, if you will, near and dear to his heart, but there was stuff going on that he really needed to challenge. So, so uh, e- even even a a place where that was established by a an apostle, right? Still. Had, had trouble. It <laughs> troubles, right, right. And so one of the things, so just, just to be aware of kind of like when you're hearing about these letters, they're written for pastoral purposes mm-hmm. to these various churches or individuals, especially in the case of Paul. So the reading that we hear about, or we we hear at Mass today um, is, is again from 2 Corinthians, and he's addressing the issue, I'm not going to take time to quote, but the issue of factionalism. So oh, he does say... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, each of you is saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on from there. So I'm bringing this up because factionalism, as we can see here, has always been in the church. And in, in, in ways, it's still in our church today. Mm-hmm. As Catholics, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. I can admire and have respect for various bishops, priests, popes, scholars, saints, and so on, but we're all called to follow Jesus Christ. So I think we have to tamp down on the factionalism and follow Jesus Christ. And maybe have a little unity. That's right. Thanks, Dr. V. You bet. Today on the show, I have with me Deacon Omar Gutierrez. He is from the uh, Archdiocese of Omaha um, with the Evangelium Institute. Uh, Welcome, Deacon Omar. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up inviting Deacon Omar on the show because Dr. Burkwald told me I really should for the particular topic that I wanted to talk about today. He recommended uh, Deacon Omar. And um, I listened to, so we're going to be talking about um, racism in the U.S. and what the Catholic Church's perspective is on it and what its response, what it, what the response from the church is. And um, I had talked to Dr. Bergwald about that, and I said, hey, will you come on and, and do this with me? He's like, huh, well, I actually have someone who's way better at it than me. <laughs> he admitted someone was better at something than him. <laughs> A rare thing, right? Make sure that's kind of on the calendar then. I should. Um, but I wanted to bring this subject up uh, because we just had um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, this past Monday. And uh, I wanted to find a way to talk about racism in a way that made, that connected it to our faith so we could understand it in, in the lens of Catholicism and just um, as a Christian people. So thanks for coming in. 
So Deacon Omar, will you tell us first a bit about yourself? And I know from listening to your your uh, interview two years ago with Dr. Bergwald that you have had some of your own experiences with racism. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then your experiences, if you would. Sure. Uh, I'm a first-generation American. Uh, my uh, dad was in Dominican Republic uh, and very dark skinned, so black. My mom from Costa Rica and very uh, light skinned, so white. Mm-hmm. Uh, they met in the United States. Um, and um, growing up, um, uh, we were, my brothers and I were all very aware uh, that we were trying to figure out what it meant to be Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just because we didn't have any other family here in the United States. My parents sort of came up independently uh, and then found each other. Um, the the first priest they went to go to, and this is Michigan in the 60s, to marry them refused to do so because they were of quote-unquote mixed race. Um, that just, that, that floors me when you say that because yeah. that would not, that's not a church teaching and it wasn't then either, correct? No, it's yeah. never been a church right. teaching. Um, but it's an indication of just how... Um, how much racism was in the air mm-hmm. in the United States, uh, and it infected the church to a great deal. Um, not everywhere, not everyone, obviously, right. um, but uh, it was definitely there. And so uh, they did get married in the church, so they found a priest who was willing to marry them. But that that story was part of my growing up mm-hmm. um, and our growing up, and um, and then and then we had our own stories of our of our our own sort of ex- exposure to racism. The one that always sticks out to me uh, is my earliest memories. Is uh, we had just moved from Michigan to, to Cleveland. We're going to a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's recess. I'm in first grade. I'm sort of I'm a people watcher. I was um, in the corner, kind of minding out my own business. And there was a boy from the same grade as my older brother uh, who who came over with a bunch of other little boys. Uh, and he just he looked at me and he had this look of just anger on his face. Uh, and he yelled at me, racial slur, I won't repeat it, right. uh, racial slur, go home. Uh, and I'd never heard the word before, so I didn't know what he was talking about. He wasn't even necessarily sure he was talking to me, although he was very clear he was talking to me. But um, I, I just remember that the look the kid had in his face, yeah. his face the, the anger, the hatred. And so I asked my older brother later, like, well, what does this word mean? And he, he, he was furious and wanted to know who said it. And I didn't know, but I still knew, but... That was my first experience, and then throughout life, I, there were a number of various kinds of experiences. Um, uh, especially after nine eleven, my name is Omar. I have a beard, um, uh, and all that sort of thing. I, I I wouldn't necessarily be able to call all of it racism, but it certainly was. It's in the under the umbrella that a lot of people use for racism. Right. Right. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for taking us through that, because most of us, frankly, uh, here in South Dakota really have, well, most of us, uh, especially in the rural areas and well in the city too, we really don't have that experience. There are, there are some groups that do, um, mm-hmm. but most of us have a hard time relating to that. So it's good to hear other people's stories, I think. Um, so can you talk about why, why is racism a sin? And uh, what does it do to, to the person who is perpetrating it? And to the person who's receiving it. Yeah, so that's uh, a it's a good way of, of asking that question because uh, um, it, it does do something to the person who's perpetrating it. But mm-hmm. but essentially, it's a sin. So it, in the Catechism, it appears uh, under the the fifth commandment of "Thou shalt not kill," um, in the sense that it's um, 
not just because racism sometimes results in killing other people, mm -hmm. but um, that it's a violation against the fundamental dignity of a human person, which is what what our pro-life attitude as Catholics is founded on, the mm -hmm. fundamental dignity of the human person. Um, and racism is, is an attack against that, especially what I, what I refer to as classical racism. Um, so what does it do to the person who's perpetrating the racism? Um, it, it places them in um, an unjust relationship with another uh, uh, person who's created in the image likes of God. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it trains the, the mind and the heart, uh, just like any vice does, any sin does. It trains the mind and the heart to view others uh, as means to an end or as objects or as less than, mm -hmm. uh, which is a violation of their human dignity. Uh, and every sin debases not just the person who's being uh, victimized, but also the perpetrator. Uh, so it lowers their own dignity as well as the dignity of those that they're, they're being racist against. And of course, those who, who experience the racism, their dignity is being violated. But but there are, and, and this is another aspect I think we don't always spend a lot of time on, and, and if you don't have an experience, you don't think about um, the, the the kind of hurt that um, a, a racism can elicit in the soul of someone. Right. Um, uh, and just as a very, very brief uh, sort of example of this is the famous story, Branch Rickey, the, who was the, who was the mm -hmm. manager of the, the Dodgers who brought in uh, the, the first black player in the major leagues. Um, uh, he re remembers that he his whole attitude on this question of racism changed when he was a young manager and he was with the team and they were in South Bend, Indiana, and the hotel wouldn't let their their black player be with the others. And he, he said, well, he can room with me. And so he went and checked on all the players. And when he came back to his room, his, his young black player was like scratching at his skin and just saying, I wish I could, I wish I could wash it out. Right. Um, that the the kind of hurt that racism can create in those who experience it is um can go very deep and can go to who they see themselves um especially in, in the light of others but also in, in the light of, of god love, god's love so it can be very very damaging right it, it it can really almost i mean the the perpetrator is is not respecting their dignity, but it also almost makes that person kind of lose their own sense of their dignity. Yes, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly right. So is that, was it, would you say that's the Catholic perspective on racism or is there more to the Catholic perspective? Um, I, I think because racism um, has, is such a broad, <laughs> broad term, mm -hmm. these days, the, the, the church's perspective includes, I think, lots of different things under the umbrella of what is colloquially called racism. But the fundamental teaching of the church, what you'll find in the catechism and what has been stated repeatedly throughout time, um, is that racism is a sin and should be rejected by every Catholic and should never be engaged. And when racism is encountered in society, I, whether it be structural racism or the racism that comes from a, from a person, it should be opposed and we should be working against it. Right, right. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Deacon Omar Gutierrez about the Catholic perspective and response to racism. He's from the Archdiocese of Omaha. So, um, when when I listened to uh, the your interview with Dr. Bergwald a couple of years ago, you talked about um, three kinds of racism, and I had never really heard it put this way before, but it really mm -hmm. made a lot of sense to me. And it helped me to kind of understand maybe why we are where we are and, and just mm -hmm. the differences in why this is different than maybe in the 60s and earlier. 
So can you talk about those three different kinds of racism? Sure. Uh, and I should say that this, this is how I've sort of come to understand this is not church teaching necessarily, right, but right. Um, the, the first, the first kind of racism I call sort of natural or accidental racism. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a pretty straightforward concept. And that's this, we're, we're built as human beings to want to connect with others, to, to live in communion with others. Um, if you, if you follow the, the science and evolutionary science psychology, you understand that it was very deep down inside of us that we, we uh, want to make connections with those around us. And so um, as a result, we are suspicious of those who are not us. Mm -hmm. It's just very natural. Um, along with this uh, sort of uh, what I call majoritarianism, if you have a society and there's a majority in a society, especially a democratic society, that majority is going to make decisions for the group, for the society that benefit the majority more often than not. Sure. Yeah. Um, or accidental racism. Uh, so same, same thing. Um, uh, I might make a comment that may be ignorant uh, based on my own sort of background, um, uh, coming out, out from ignorance, but but that's really all it is. It's a statement coming from ignorance. That natural or accidental uh, uh, racism is 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 very common. Is uh, it, it it can look like racism, and sometimes we call it racism, um, but it's it's not necessarily what right. the church would call sinful. Right. Um, it's not necessarily uh, an intentional sin. So it's very natural for us to be suspicious of somebody else. Uh, um, it's part of the fall. Sadly, we're, mm -hmm. we're burdened with it, but but um, we need to work against it. Right. Uh, and the church encourages us to do that. Right. So insofar as we do work against it, that's a good thing. Having the natural inclination to be suspicious of somebody isn't itself a sin if, if it's just accidental. Sure, sure. Okay. So what is the second one? The second one is what I'll call classical racism. And, and this is where I would think that um, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, mm -hmm. would sort of land. Yeah. Um, and, and that is the idea, which comes out of the Enlightenment and comes out of the, sort of the scientific revolution, et cetera, the idea that certain races of human beings are better intellectually, physically, morally than other races by virtue of their race. And that's a loaded word, racism. Mm -hmm. but that's sort of classical racism. Uh, and, and from that, you got things like eugenics, um, and the, it was very popular in the, the teens and, and, and 20s and the West and other things where uh, uh, we are better than you because we have we are a different race. And, and, and nowadays you could say because we're a different skin color. Right. Um, that's classical racism. Uh, and that's the racism that um, tra traditionally the church has always pointed at as what we mean by racism. Right. Uh, and that's the kind of racism where the church is going to say always and everywhere. Uh, you are never allowed to engage in it. Um, you are never allowed to, to divide people in that way. If you find that kind of racism uh, instantiated in persons or in structures, you must, as Catholics, work against it. So can that type of racism, okay, I'm thinking back, I mean, obviously, there's racism against uh, African Americans and so on, and Africans in our, in our founding. Um, would that also put in groups like um, Irish, when they came in, Italians, uh Absolutely. things like that okay okay Absolutely, so yeah so it's not but necessarily the about the against that. go ahead yeah skin color no exactly that that's that's the confusion that's that's most common today is it's a skin color thing right um so some listeners may may remember that recently whoopi goldberg made some comment about the the nazis um uh attempt to exterminate the jews was not racism because they're both white 
And she got a lot of trouble for that mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the Germans certainly thought it was about racism. Right. They said it was about racism. Yep. So um, the classical racism is this idea that certain races, skin color aside, are better than others. And part of the argument against the Irish or the Italians, but particularly the Irish in this country, uh, was that they were weaker, they were dumber, they were immoral, they had all these things. So that, all of that stuff was part of the sort of classically racist attitude that existed in this country that was even part of our legal system in the 20s right. and 30s in our right. immigration system in the United States. Yeah. And that actually, I think, kind of brings you to the third type of racism. The, the comment you just made what kind of encompasses that third type. Right. So then the third type is what we're seeing a lot of today, mm -hmm. um, which is referred to sometimes as critical race theory, and I call it political racism. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's based upon this idea that um, basically there's, there's like sort of two fundamental uh, principles. Uh, the first of them is we can't know the truth about anything, right. Um, <laughs> which right away we're already further away from the Catholic Church teaching. So the, fir the first principle is we can't know the truth about anything. Um, and so a corollary to that is anybody who attempts to try to impose the truth on somebody is, is trying to gain power. And the second principle is the only way to measure what's right and wrong is to do so by inequity. So if I see that one group has, uh, you know, a race, let's say, has more power, and power here is defined as socioeconomic and political power. Mm -hmm. If one race has more socioeconomic and political power than another race, right, when it should be equal, that is necessarily, that's their argument, necessarily a sign of racism. Mm -hmm. um, and so the only way then to uh, to end that racism is to uh, fight for justice, social justice, racial justice, to get rid of that. Now, uh, this political racism uh, uh, depends on these principles that are already at odds with Catholic Church's teaching. Um, it, it depends on an us versus them right. uh, paradigm of looking at reality. Um, and it limits the ideas of, um, of power and, uh, and good and righteousness, et cetera, to materialistic um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, parameters, and which is a, a Marxist way of looking at, at reality. And that's, that's incompatible with Catholicism. Right. Um, and I, I know uh, one of the things, I guess, that I have noticed with this type of the political racism is you talked about um, the types of power. But it, mm. it feels like um, uh, power might just equal what color you are. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Am, am, I, yeah. am I wrong yeah, well, there? Right. So... So they, there is some there is some data to back some of that up, which they will point to. But but the, their larger point, I think, what you're getting at is what they are going to argue is if you are if you belong to the skin color that has the power as they define mm -hmm. it, you are by definition racist. Right. Yes. So it doesn't matter what's in your heart. It doesn't matter if you have any black friends. It doesn't have any have black family members. None of that matters. If you are of a certain color, if you're white, you are by definition racist. Right. And the only way not to be racist to be an anti-racist, and the only way to be anti-racist is to agree with me about what socioeconomic and political policies you should be supporting when you vote, et cetera. That's, that's the train of thought. Right. Um, but that fundamental, that, that groundwork is, all I need to know about you is your skin color to determine whether or not you're racist. That, that's not Catholic. Right. It just isn't. Right. Yeah. And it turns into like a heads I win, tails you lose kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like exactly, you, you, yeah. you literally can't win the argument even a conversation um, because you're just in the wrong place to begin with. Right. Um, okay. That's why the definition of terms is really very, very important. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So as Catholics then, how do we respond 
to racism. Mm-hmm. So in the case of uh, sort of the natural accidental racism, uh, when it's encountered, again, it could be a faux pas, maybe someone makes an ignorant statement. I think it's always important to call it out, mm-hmm. uh, to say to that person, hey, look, you know, that was an inappropriate statement. Uh, I know you you meant well. I think I know what you're trying to say, but that's not the way to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one can take very easily offense at that. So we should call it out, but do so gently. Right? Yeah. With, with regard to ca- the classical racism, uh, as I said before, the church tells us we have a moral obligation to work against it mm-hmm. uh, in all situations. And with regard to the political racism, I think it's very important um, to understand what it is we're talking about and educate yourself about it. But it's also important, I think, to look at the evidence that some, that's sometimes put forward, because what sometimes you'll get in political racism is the, the look at the inequalities that exist within society. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to look at that because they may in fact be signs right. uh, of, of, of injustice somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we should, we should look at what is salvageable in that, but, but the fundamental parameters of that, that political racism is just incompatible with Catholicism. And I think we should just reject it. Right. How do we like, how do we answer when when we're faced with someone who is, um, as a Catholic, uh, who might be uh, coming at us with the political racism pieces, the critical race theory? Mm. Um, are there some documents from the church that we can refer that we can kind of uh, use to arm ourselves to be able to have a, a actual useful conversation with someone in those yeah. situations? Well, I, I think the, um, uh, the, the the recent documents from the U.S. bishops, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, my brethren, I'm blanking on the name for a reason, um, uh, is very good on racism. They, it was a response to the, the whole thing in Ferguson. It was, it was very, very helpful, and, and their definition of racism is very, very helpful, and, and it goes along with what I've been saying before, so that when um, uh, when somebody comes to you with that political racism, you, you can ask, so how, how are you defining racism? Right. Because this is how I, as a Catholic, define racism, because this is what the U.S. bishops have said I should define it as. Okay. Um, and and I'm, I'm not rejecting, just as, as that document says, uh, I'm not reject. open wide our hearts. That's the name of the document. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I'm not, I'm not rejecting that there can be a reason there is racism. I just want to, as we're having this conversation, you and I, we need to be clear about what we're talking about. Um, so that we can have a fruitful conversation. Right. I think if you Google uh, Open Wide Our Hearts, you probably don't even have to put USCCB by it, but you could. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it would be a really good, I have read pieces of it, not the entire thing, mm-hmm. but it would be a good mm-hmm. thing to do to really understand what the church teaches um, and to be prepared because, I, I mean, honestly, in our country right now, this is this is this tends to be a big topic and it can be yeah. extremely uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, it would be good to kind of arm yourself a little bit. So, Deacon Omar, we're out of time. (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, So, Deacon Omar is a a very good friend of of Dr. Bergwald's. And um, he's not going to like this, but I I have to leave room for Dr. Bergwald at the front of the show. So, (laughs) (laughs) he'll come back and he'll say, how many minutes do I have? And how much time did Deacon Omar take up of mine? (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll hear about it. You probably will. Yes, he'll call you later and say that. I really appreciate you taking some time for us, um, especially to talk about a hard topic. So, thank you. And uh, I hope all, all is well in Omaha. Thanks a lot. God bless you. Good. All right. If you haven't found us already on social media, you can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and at Rumble at SF Diocese. You can also go to our website at sfcatholic.org anytime. 
That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.